Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the TTE podcast. And today, um, I've got a really good friend of mine um, here with me today, Nathan Chobo. And um, I've been thinking, Nathan, a lot about technology and technology's impact on all of us, specifically in the context of COVID and a pandemic and how not only have things changed, but how things are not going back to the way they used to be. I keep coming back to this idea because I keep hearing it all the time. People saying, well, I want to get back to normal. I want to get back to normal. And I just keep thinking we are not going back to normal. Like when this is all over and everybody's vaccine and this thing is gone away, we are not going to go back to normal. The world will be fundamentally different as a result of this entire experience that 7 billion people have had. So I keep thinking about how technology has made our lives convenient enough in a way to where we can survive this, um, but also convenient in such a way to where you are comfortable. Are you inconvenienced? Yes. Is it annoying? Absolutely. But it could be far worse and technology has really sort of played a part in that. And so I wanted to have you on to to sort of talk through that um, because I know you've got a really interesting perspective and really understand the interconnectedness of things. Absolutely. And and glad to be part. You know, as you talked about COVID, you know, the thing about a habit is it takes uh, a reiteration, right? And they say at least six times to make something into a habit. When the vaccine becomes widely available for COVID, and that's assuming there isn't another virus behind it, right? Or another right. strain or whatever it might be. Correct. Um, we'll, we'll probably be two years into this. So you're exactly right to say that all of a sudden we're going to go backwards or go back to something else when we started a new habit is, is highly unlikely. So, you know, context for some of those that are listening, uh, I work as a consultant and we support all of North America. So from 2018 until the end of 2019, uh, I was traveling from Chicago O'Hare into uh, Seattle, Washington, and that was on a weekly basis. So 90% travel for what we do. And I, you know, I signed up for it. So I was cool with that. Um, I started working in Canada and, uh, you know, that was my next project. And then March comes along and, you know, the border shuts down. And here I've been working from home since then. So as an organization, as a company, we've talked about what next year is going to look like. We've talked about the vaccine. And the reality is we're going to work from home probably all of 2021. So when we talk about going to normal, it's not back, it's forward. And so what's the new normal going to look like? And more than likely, it's going to be 50% travel for those that want to, right? And when there's a need that the client has because you're working on a a project and you need to be on site. Uh, So it, it truly is an interesting conversation as we think about what reverting is going to look like and its implications. And, you know, as you and I have talked about uh, in the past, uh, it has a wide uh, net as far as our social conscript and what that's going to look like going forward. And that's also indicative of uh, even the Spanish flu after 1918. Uh, There were certain things that people would normally do that were seen as socially acceptable. But after that pandemic, they changed, such as spitting in the street, you know, something stupid, but you know, th- it was no longer seemed as socially acceptable to do that. You got your handkerchief out and you, you had more uh, 
social awareness of viruses and, and not infecting other people. So I think it still remains to be determined what all that's going to translate into. But we're starting to see the beginning of it now. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think you touched on something about the idea of clients being on site, because now with Zoom and Microsoft Teams and, and FaceTime and on all of that type of stuff, you know, it does beg the question, do you really need to be there? Like one of the things they've been kicking around on my job is because we've gone to teams and because everybody's gotten used to teams now, because it was a bit of a hurdle when it first got introduced because people were used to Skype and really teams is just another version of it. But now that people have gotten it, they've gotten more comfortable with it and they're more comfortable being on camera. Um, right. Because that is a big uh, that's a bit of a social change, especially for people of a certain age group who technologies may be moving faster than what they want to keep up with. Um, do you like one of the things they've been talking about is whenever we go back to work and our tentative date is June 1st. But I tend to think it's probably more like September just to be safe. Mm -hmm. um, the idea is, do we all get webcams at our desk now? So that way we right. can just do these calls from our desk because today we'd have to probably leave and go find conference rooms. And, you know, and in any organization, do you really need a conference room? But and truthfully, for any organization, like if you were going to start a business today, would you actually find office space? I would argue that short of I would argue, no, you would probably find a small office to maybe run your IT department out of. So people right. can come and pick up a laptop and you can troubleshoot some things. But for the most part, there's no reason if you wanted to move to the Cayman Islands, as long as you've got an Internet connection. You know, now there's tax implications in the whole nine. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here. But, <laughs> but you know, because my preference, if I could work at the beach every day, believe me, that's where I'd be. I'd, yeah. be. I'd be at the fucking beach if I could be anywhere. But but that being said, though, I do think that. Um, to the larger to the point that you were just making, I, I do think we're not it's a it's a look forward. It's not a look back. And yeah. And so I just kind of want to talk through because I think these things are happening at a such a rapid pace. And we're so caught up in the mundane of the everyday because it's like, what day is this? Is this Thursday? Is this Tuesday? I have no idea. Um, they told me Thanksgiving was last week, but honestly, it just felt like a Wednesday. Like, <laughs> like, right. like I, I, but all of this is sort of coming at you so fast. But when I when I think about um, some of these changes, like one of the ones that jumped out to me um, was the fact that uh, Uber Eats bought Postmates for like two billion dollars or something crazy. And my first thought was, wow, so there's consolidation of the market inside of food delivery. But then I got to thinking, well, how many times have I had food delivered in the last six months? Like exactly. a lot. And it's, I'm probably going to have more food delivered in the next six months, six to nine months. Well, and again, if you think about urban areas, you know, again, Chicago is where I live. And so the restaurants that are around us, the only way that they can make money at this point, because we're once again in a lockdown for the next 15 days, is is by having things like DoorDash and Uber Eats. Right. You know, and so I'll have Yelp pop up a, a notification saying, hey, support your local restaurants. You know, how do you do that? Well, you order online and they come and deliver it. So it's creating a new uh, economic society, right, that wasn't necessarily relevant before COVID. Right. So we think about necessity as the mother of all invention. And so while it looks like these things have transformed rather quickly, the reality is this. They were already there, yes. but there was no reason for us to use them. 
So uh, working with a client today, uh, their process, I would say, is 90% paper-based. So, so think about this. It's 2020, and I'm writing as-is processes for these groups, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the tools that I had to document, and it almost made me vomit putting in the fucking document, is that they've got a paper bin for this line of work. A literal paper tray <laughs> bin that's next to a photocopier that they got to put this work into. So it's amazing to see that that was reality for them in February of this year. And now fast forward December of this year, they're completely paperless, right? That's so awesome. they're being forced to use technology in a way that makes them more efficient Right. And they didn't do it by choice. They did it because they're not in the office and they got to figure this thing out. So so I hear what you're saying. It seems like it's a fast transition. But I think a lot of these elements, you know, because Uber Eats was already available. They just weren't fully utilized. Now they're almost you know, a godsend. So I don't have to, you know, cook something myself you know, right. or or pull out some uh, some leftovers. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how uh, this continues to generate because, you know, you and I were talking about before uh, Salesforce buying Slack, you know, for billions of dollars uh, in order to compete with teams that you had mentioned earlier. So that type of, you know, technology to technology and making the enhancements and the improvements, I think we're going to see a lot of, especially as we go into 2021, um, because it's now going to one up things. And hence, again, while we're not going to look back, we're going to look forward because we already have the momentum going that way. I agree. And I think something you said about that got me thinking, the uh, the concept that these things were always there. And like, like the one company that's been uniquely positioned to take advantage of this moment is Amazon. Absolutely. Amazon's entire infrastructure is built to take advantage of this moment, not knowing that the moment was coming. Just, just yeah. being on the forefront of what something could be. And the key word that I keep coming back to is activation. Like, yeah. like COVID activated this necessity. So restaurants can't stay open unless they do this. Whenever we, whenever, whenever everything opens back up and people can actually sit in a restaurant and not be fearful that they're going to catch this thing, um, there's still that's still now a revenue stream that didn't necessarily exist for restaurants that does exist now. And I don't see them turning that off at all. I I think the volume will diminish because you'll welcome people back into your restaurant with open arms and sort of have that experience. Mm -hmm. But that's a revenue stream now that's not going to go away that you know you can sort of rely on. And truthfully, I'm probably looking forward to the day where it's a restaurant that solely focuses on delivery. We'll make whatever you want, but you're not going to come in here. We're just going to ship it out. And frankly, the pizza shop that we go to, uh, they were almost set up for this, right? Because they have literally four tables in the place. So if you want to grab a slice, great, you can sit down, but then, you know, get your ass out. The majority of what you see coming in are delivery drivers. And this was before COVID. Right. So I think you're right. The business model itself you know, you're going to still have your fancy restaurants and all of that, but I think your normal mom and pop shops are going to uh, allow themselves to be in a smaller space, but then give more impetus towards delivery. Uh, you know, because it's just it's going to make sense. Another revenue stream for them. 
Right. Absolutely. And it'll be interesting what like a landlord would charge on rent because the the square footage that they need is going to be a lot smaller. Like um, I think about a company like WeWork that was buying all these office buildings and then leasing the space. And eventually they they went under. But that's a business model that I don't think works anymore. I know for my company, they got rid of basically all the physical locations except for like five of them. So if you worked in one of those locations, your permanent work work from home now. and it makes sense, you know, but I like in the meetings I've been having lately, uh, what we've kind of talked about is, A, when you sort of unplug from work, it's really hard to plug back in after six months of this life. Yeah. And then secondly, the moment everybody gets back to work, the first thing everybody's doing is hugging everybody. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like that's the first thing you're going to do is and I think people take for granted sometimes that human connection that, you know, we're we're not designed to go this alone. Right. Like you need that sort of connection with people. And like I've heard people talk about how this has been really hard, like they don't feel connected, they feel distant. And then with the whole world sort of not necessarily passing you by, but it's like time marches on and it waits for none of us. But you know what's interesting? So uh, Harvard Business Review released an article here uh, October 13th, and it talked about um, the changes of talent management, right? And what employees are going to want. And what they did though, they looked at, you know, post-pandemic and what has been the, the impact on us working from home. And they showed that an average, uh, people extend their working time by 10 to 20%. Now, so you think you take out travel time, you take out some of, you know, going yep. from one physical location to another. And, and so that's now added back into your work time. So that's one. The other thing that I thought was highly interesting is based on Microsoft Teams, they reported a 200% increase in virtual meetings, right? So that was 2.7 billion meetings per day. And that's just in Microsoft Teams. Yeah. Because that's, that's what they have access to. Right. Right. So so I think you're right. That it's it's going to open up to where um, home office is definitely a go-to. And I could see that when I was trying to buy a desk. The uh, mm. everywhere I would go and try and I obviously had to do it online, I couldn't find them. They're all out. I tried yeah. to buy my daughter a, a, a desk chair. Shit, they, I had to wait three months for it to get delivered, right? right. Uh, so, so I think people are definitely setting up their home to be the office place. And, and so I've got my office here in the house. Uh, my wife is in the living room. She's got a full desk set up. And it's almost like, you know, a little cubicle, if you will. My mm-hmm. daughter's on the other side of the living room and she's got her school space. And we've got whiteboards that are up. And so it, it basically has transformed our home into mobile offices. So that's going to obviously lead to the question of, so when, if you do have an office building, like we were talking about before, what is it for? And I would even argue, I don't have to have a person come in to pick up the laptop because I can have it drop shipped, right? And then through online tools, they can download, you know, the, the base of it, the seed, and it can expand out to whatever it is that they need. Right. So, we can have things pushed to them because, you know, you get those yeah. updates pushed all the time. So it's going to be interesting. But I would also argue this. Um, I understand the the people connection and we want to be able to hug and we want to be able to interact and touch. Right. Because as humans, even the you know most hands off person at some point appreciates a hug. You just yeah. do. 
Yeah. But I would also argue that, um, so my company, there's 66 people total, right? And we do a, a COVID and a diversity meeting every Monday. Uh, so it's around 10 o'clock in the morning. And just seeing those folks and, and not just hearing them, right? But seeing them, their faces, and we're very real with each other. So it's not just a, a meeting, but right. it's honest feeling. So the whole racial strife over, you know, uh, the horrendous events that have taken place, we were raw. It, it was very candid. And mm-hmm. so I think it it changes how we use technology to not just being superficial, but using it in the moment and being raw and real with each other, even though, yes, it's through a device, but connecting through it can definitely help. And we're seeing that through some of the, uh, the, the reports that have come out uh, just with using Zoom, you know, and FaceTime and the other elements. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty amazing to see how it can work. Uh, but you have to be open to that vulnerability and through using the technology itself. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, I found that for certain people, it's moving faster than what they want to keep up. For other people, and I think I think about young people specifically, your your Gen Zs and your millennials. Yeah. And I don't know, I get them mixed up. So forgive me if I'm <laughs> putting you in the wrong category. I apologize. I'm becoming more and more of an old man every day. But um, I, I think that's you talk about the future of work like these are the people that are coming into the workplace who like my nephews the other day like we were talking and they've never not grown up with the internet right so we were talking about well when you go to get a book out of the library they're like oh we're just going online and we pick our books they're like well how did you do it i was like well we didn't have the internet well what did you do I'm like we use the we use the Dewey Decimal System. They're like, "What is that?" And I'm like, "I do not, I do not have time to explain to you the 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 Dewey Decimal System in all of its greatness. I I I don't have the time for that. But these kids are coming into the workplace and they're and they communicate through Snapchat and through apps yeah. and all of this stuff. And I don't think our world from a business technology perspective has ever really kept up. And all of a sudden we've hit a massive level of fast forward on this in part, because to your point, the technology was getting there, but now it's been supercharged from an activation perspective because of COVID. Like there was like commentary about how zoom was not ready for the influx of volume when the pandemic hit, like they had to do a lot of investing internally to be able to beef up servers and all of this, to be able to support the bandwidth because they weren't ready to do that just yet. But I think it's one of those things where, you know, when opportunity strikes, you want to be in in position to take advantage of it. And I just keep going back to Amazon. Amazon has completely is the one company that is uniquely built to not just survive, but thrive in a pandemic because Outside of the warehouse worker, and I will tell you, if you have not been to the warehouse to have a tour, you should go see that. That is Mm -hmm. efficiency in a cold, raw, mathematical sort of way. There are no wasted wasted movements, no wasted steps. They've got that thing down to a science inside one of those distribution centers. But they're just uniquely positioned to do the one thing that they do better than anybody – and they can do it to scale. So I don't know. I mean, it's just 
it's a, it's a crazy time we live in. I know everybody says that, but I mean, it's just technology is just, it is. it's just nuts. So, so there was an article back in uh, July uh, of 2020. So this year, right. And talked about Amazon and just in one week and I'm sorry, one month. So three to four weeks on Amazon in North America and Europe within that span of time, they beat prime day, 2019 and cyber week, 2019, right. As far as the number of sales that they had uh, across the board. And you think about the level of services that they're offering. I mean, Amazon basically can do just about anything, right? They, they're through the cloud. Uh, so they offer cloud services. They offer products. They have Amazon Prime, which also includes uh, music and video. So, you know, they're in every facet of a human's life. And then you wonder, you know, how do they make so much money? Well, because they're in everything. <laughs> well, right. So yeah, they're everywhere. They, they were really positioned uh, very well to take advantage of people being at home and having things brought to them, either to the door or through devices, which is amazing. It, it really is. And I think Amazon preconditioned everybody for the life. Because we're yes. all used to ordering off Amazon and having it delivered. And where Amazon changed everything is we've gotten away from this sense of um, instant gratification. Like you're old enough to remember when you wanted something so bad you couldn't wait to go to the mall. Heck yeah. And now it's I just bought this thing on Amazon. It's delayed gratification. Now it's I bought this thing. It'll be here in two days. But, you know, I would – so I think it goes both ways, though, because if I want to watch a movie right now, I can go and I order it and it's there. Right. And you even look at the news from today of uh, HBO Max and the whole concept of Warner Brothers pushing out movies through that channel for that instant. I mean, to me, instant gratification. Right. So right. you're right. I, there is something about ordering something through Amazon and then having it delivered. But I think the other thing for me, at least, is. I'm checking that fucking tracking, right, to see where is it and what state is it in and how long is it going to take to get to me. So it gives me a beacon, if you will, of you know happiness until the package actually arrives. So they've they've found a way to kind of short circuit our our need to delay gratification and kind of feed us along until it actually happens. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they do that in the spirit of transparency and keeping you um engaged from a customer experience perspective let you know hey it's sure. on its way and, and and that's all marketing in all fancy terms i mean that's you know that's the kind of thing jim trussell would do where jim trussell would tell you <laughs> oh well you know those kids from akron they play real hard and that yep. hunter he's a hell of a player and we really respect them jim you won 70 to 3 yeah but those kids right. played real hard and it's it's the same it's that sort of sleight of hand but but you're right amazon is Everywhere and now with HBO Max, I think the only thing that you miss is, and this goes back to um, an article that I believe was in Harvard Business Review years ago. It's the concept of a blue ocean. So, right. like, like you would not open a theater anytime after, say, I don't know, nineteen forty, because it's there's blood in the water. It's a blue ocean. But Netflix could have been blockbuster. Instead, yes. they went streaming online, and then it was a blue ocean. And now everybody had to catch up with Netflix. Netflix had such a head start on everybody that – and that's one of the things that I think from a COVID perspective I noticed early on was it got to the point within the first two months, three months, 
that shit, I had watched everything I wanted to watch on Netflix and Hulu <laughs> and <laughs> Disney Plus. Like, I like, you know, like, and I, I'm, I'll be completely transparent. I am a bit of a nerd and a bit of a sucker for these Marvel movies because I didn't really like reading comic books, but I just feel like these movies are done with such high quality and I just uh-huh. really enjoy those movies. So I'm a bit of a sucker for those. I have watched Infinity War and Endgame, I probably would guess 70, 80 times each. Absolutely. Because if there's nothing on TV, I'll just go back to that because I know I'll be entertained by that movie. Uh, and and same. So, you know, having a 14 year old son and a, a nine year old daughter, you know, it, it's difficult not to go back to those things. And then as well as the Star Wars, uh, yeah. you know, whole experience. And then at home, you know, we've doubled down and reinvested in uh, television. So it's, you know, theater quality. So, you know, when you think about having theater releases coming into your home at the same time it hits the theater itself. That's pretty amazing. But again, because this technology was already there, home theater goes back to the 80s, right? Both. I remember the first time yeah. that we sat down, you know, in this, you know, uh, living room in the mall, you know, and they showed us what Bose could do. And you're just like, holy crap. So I think, you know, there's there's some elements of going into a theater and sitting in a sticky chair with sticky floors. Not sure why it got sticky. We'll leave that alone. But <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, you like to be able to see that 70 foot screen, you know, an IMAX uh, surround sound. But, you know, with Apple's uh, bringing out, you know, uh, AirPod Pros and, you know, the home theater experience itself is you know, of quality. It, it makes sense that at this time you're going to have things like the HBO Max, you know, releasing cinematic right there live. Uh, Disney. Right. The whole concept of releasing Hamilton was because they couldn't do it in the theater. Right. So and how many views has that thing had, you know, as well as it's true. It got one out of me, but one one was enough. I'm not a big um, (laughs) I'm not I'm just not big on musicals. I like Hamilton. I thought it was really cool conceptually. I like the story. I felt like I learned something, but it's just I'm not I I struggle with the idea that you and I are having a conversation and then we break into song. Nowhere in my life does that happen. Come on now, Dennis. Why wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, see, right. Exactly. And, and, and you know me well enough to know I'm going to look at you like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> well, especially a rap battle, right? So, I mean, oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> a rap battle between between people in the 1700s. Like, huh? Like, like if Hamilton and these guys and Burr could see this today, they'd be confused as hell. Like, right. What the hell? Yeah, what the hell is this? <laughs> I don't talk like that. No, but, but I think but, it all. Yeah. I think it also speaks to just the fact of even Mulan right now. I know that has some controversy because of the actors that, you know, and as far as their involvement with China and all that, but the concept that Disney can come out, they already have uh, this thing where they've, you know, released Hamilton, Artemis Fowl, Soul, right, to as an exclusive. But now on top of that, you got to pay 30 bucks to be able to watch Mulan early. (laughs) And, And people paid it. And people hate it. Man, and I hate to admit it, but I know I did because my daughter wanted to watch it, right? So, yeah, 30 bucks and done. And that's the thing. Well, there's the thing. If you can spend $90 a month in DoorDash, you could probably afford to cough up that extra 30 to get Mulan early. 
But but here's the thing. Here's how I rationalize it. I don't have to get in my car and drive to a theater that has sticky floors and sticky seats. And again, we're not going to talk about why, but I can do it in the privacy of my own home. I can be in my underwear. I can be in my whatever, right? And I can right. bring out my big ass thing of popcorn. I can have a, a scotch or whatever I want to watch for this Mulan thing or whatever movie I want to watch. And I'm good to go. But if you go to a theater, especially if you've got four people, the tickets themselves are you know between eight to 14 bucks, right? Uh, depending upon your location, where you are. Then you've got the fucking food. A thing of popcorn is 20. A soda yeah. is another 10. Yes, I yep. said soda. Um, you know, a hot dog is like fucking 50 bucks. By the time you're done from a family perspective, you've spent about 110 bucks. Yeah. So 30, I'll eat the 30. I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. Just eat the 30 and and, and be good. No, you're hundred percent right. And and it makes me think about with all of this technology, pushing everything forward that when we come out of this and go back to not go back, but whatever the world's going to be when we come out of this, you know, there are going to be, some industries that just quite simply don't exist anymore. And I think movie theaters is one of them because I mean, the concept now, the idea, like you're old enough to remember the idea of a summer blockbuster. Like I remember like when speed came out, how big of a deal speed was. I think I saw speed three times that summer. And what was crazy was each time that movie went by faster and faster, like it lived up to the name. So by the end, it was like a half hour movie when really it was like an hour, two hours. But but the idea of a summertime blockbuster and everybody, oh, did you go see this? Did you see this? Now it's going to be like, oh, you didn't see that? Oh, well, you don't have HBO Max? Yep. Yep. It, it becomes a thing like, you know, uh, seeing people with an Apple Watch, right? Oh, you don't have one? You know, you're not part of the cool crowd. But I, well, I thought though, that too. I fought it for so long, and then when I bought a new phone, I could get one for like 13 bucks a month or something. I was like, right? yeah, throw it in there. All right, and now yeah, that I've had it, I'm like, you know what? I, okay, I get it. Um, I, I get it. And you know what's crazy is uh, all my watches, because you know I, I love my watches. Yeah. Yes, you all do. My watches, all my watches need batteries now, because I haven't worn them in <laughs> months. Because I just use the Apple Watch. Now I've become that person. And it's a constant... That- yeah, it's a constant reminder for me not to take a hard line on things all the time because you just never know when life's going to force you to go hard left or hard right. And before you know it, yeah. you're doing the very thing you said you would never do. But I think that'll be true also of entertainment, right? So instead of it being the summer blockbuster that you go and say, have you seen it? For those that have the streaming service, it now becomes like a you know Thursday evening episode of you know Cheers you know, or Seinfeld or whatever you know is the hot thing. Uh, you know, did you see that episode? Oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. So I think it just changes the conversation a little bit. But I'm with you. The anticipation of the blockbuster and, and thinking about what's the next sequel, perhaps, you know, and and building it up now is really short-circuited to say, oh, I just wait for it to come out on streaming, you know, and it's being released at the same time. Exactly, because I think, like, and I guess the best example of that would be the new Borat movie. They ran yeah. commercials for like for that, like it was going to be in the theater, and it was just on Amazon Prime. Yep. But if you didn't know that, you would have went to the theater thinking, "Okay, I want to go see Borat." If you didn't know that it was on um, Amazon Prime. And speaking of anticipation, like one of the things I look forward to every Friday is The Mandalorian. Yeah, like, I'm watching. I'm, I'm watching that every Friday, and I'm kind of glad that they release it one at a time because it does give me something a little to look forward to. Because the thing about these streaming services is that I, I 
I'll go down a rabbit hole in like Narcos. Like I banged Narcos out like five yep. seasons of that. I banged that out in like two weeks. I couldn't get enough of it. Right. But exactly. It was all based on a true story. Like I, I, I mean, it's three in the morning. I need to go to work in the morning. But no, nope, I, <laughs> I got to get this last one. I got to get this last one well, in. Yeah, because now you know you're going to work is basically just putting on a nice pair of a uh, shirt and stuff and sitting in front of a, a Teams meeting, right? So no, that's you. That's, that's you. I'm in sweats. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, that, I'm in sweats. But, but that's what I'm saying is that you can be in your sweats, but as long as the top looks like you're ready to rock, no one gives a shit. <laughs> and that, and, so and can, that's the way it should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. can be up till three o'clock in the morning watching whatever you want. But as long as your first meeting, you can rock it out. You know, life is good. So, yeah. so I'm I'm with you though. Yeah. I mean, you know, Narcos. Uh, so I recently uh, signed up for Peacock. You know, uh, NBC's, and I love Saturday Night Live. Well, I could not find the '90s versions unless I had paid for it. You know, to be able to watch those episodes because mm-hmm. to me that was like the best decade of SNL. Right. Well, lo and behold, uh, the Peacock has it all. You know, it's got every episode all the way from the very beginning to the very end. So, so the streaming services have definitely found a niche for for their audience to draw you in, and then the subscription price you know comes into play. So, I, I think you know that's definitely a revenue stream that entertainment's going to have. And if that's at the the death of movie theaters, they're going to do it, right? Oh well, so yeah. It, yeah, I it's mean, no what, the radio. Yep, I was. You took it. You took the idea right from me. I think it's. I think there the song's uh, "Video Killed the Radio Star." It's exactly right. Yep. You so, know. so they're they're going to do what is whatever is necessary for that that revenue stream. But the other thing I think is important to to keep in mind is that retail and movie theaters and entertainment itself was already hitting a decline prior to COVID, right? Hmm. So it's not as if COVID has done this to them, right? And so all of a sudden you have the rise of Amazon, which means the death of limited brands. No, no, no. They were already facing financial straits before, right? There were definitely issues within the papers and so forth. So this simply accelerated their demise as well. So it's accelerated the advent of tools, technology that was already there and you know put it into warp speed, right? But then it also has given uh, a suffocated, if you will, uh, some of these other industries and businesses because to me, like Blockbuster, they have simply followed a business plan and strategy without taking the temperature of people and trends. So millennials and uh, Gen Z's and the double A's and whatever else is out there, they are the future. And if you're not speaking to them, especially think about the kids that have never known anything beyond the internet. And now I think about my daughter being nine and she's in virtual learning, right? This is the reality for them. And so if businesses are not accommodating and, and positioning themselves the right way, they will be as irrelevant as Blockbuster. And I think the company you just described is Kodak. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's really that's that's really who you describe. And I also think your daughter is nine and my nephews are 12, nine, and then my niece is six. They're coming of age during all of this. 
So yes. they're going to be able 50 years from now to talk about what it was like as a kid to do distance learning and have your teacher on a screen and talk to you back and forth, this, that, and the third. And, and, you know, there's a lot of articles that talk about like the impact of doing all of this distance learning for so long that these kids are not necessarily um, engaged with the work the way they should be, or parents are stepping in to help their kids with their schoolwork and they're comfortable doing it from like a reading perspective, but they're not comfortable yep. doing it from a math perspective. But I uh, see. So, so we had that today, right? So uh, my wife and I are le- relearning the new math uh, <laughs> yes. for the for the fourth grade, right? But but here's the cool thing, uh, at least here uh, with this teacher that we have, and I know each teacher is going to be a little bit different, but they have breakout rooms. So when I listen to my daughter and she's working on a project, math or English or science or whatever it is, um, she's with three or four other kids. It's a mini team, right? Okay. And so when you think about school, or at least how I think about school, is it should prepare our kids to be adults and enter the workforce. So when I think about my day, you know, today's been a long day, but it was back-to-back meetings on Zoom and MS Teams. That's where I spent it. And I spent most of my time facilitating those sessions and helping to drive outcomes. As I have stepped back and listened to her and, and you know, how she interacts with her teammates, if you will, she's doing the same thing. Yeah. So I, I think as adults, those of us that haven't grown up, you know, within this digital age, you know, because again, you and I remember we know as computers were personal computers were coming out, right. And how it became adopted and all those things. Um, we have to step outside of our social norm and understand that what they're doing right now has a direct correlation to the future of business and it's setting yeah. them up in the right way. And so not to discourage it, there, there may be some uh, social awkwardness. True. But it's no more awkward than how we're conducting business and we're doing it successfully right now as well. Well, anything is awkward when it's new. Exactly. You know what I mean? And so once it becomes um, an established, adopted sort of thing, um, then it's not awkward anymore. And before you know it, it just becomes part of the um, social contract. So, like, the idea at this point that we would live life without the Internet is a non-starter. Exactly. Or or even without a computer or a device, right? Or just a device in general, right? (laughs) But the idea that you would be, say, 17 without a cell phone is such a crazy concept. But you can remember – I know I can remember being 17 without a cell phone and I was just – but it was a big deal to have a pager. Yeah, exactly. Now, I'm starting to, starting to date myself now, but but the idea that you had a pager, it was a big deal if you had a pager. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember I, at one time I had a pager and a cell phone. I thought, this is dumb. Why would you page I, me if you could just call me? I, I didn't get my first cell phone until 2000, right? So yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I remember getting my ass beat because I didn't call my parents to say that I was going to be late coming home, right? So. Right. But, you know, so, so, so you, there's a trade-off, you know, with technology, there are certain things that, you know, our kids don't understand. Dad, why couldn't you call home? Well, because I didn't have the 25 cents in my pocket, you know, to use a payphone. What's a payphone? So, yeah, what's a payphone? We're, <laughs> we're going to give up things, right, for newer things. 
And the other uh, cool element regarding the, the education component is her teacher is actually sending her like science projects to have. You know, so now you talk about Amazon and its utility, even through education, you know, that stuff could be drop shipped to the kid's house. You know, I'm thinking future state, uh, mm-hmm. but drop shipped to the kid's house. And now they're part of the science project. And the byproduct of that, at least for me in my mind, and I know, you know, not everyone's going to agree with this, is it's forcing parents, uh, maybe kicking and screaming, but to become part of the educational process. Yeah. I because. Before this, you know, you talk to a parent and it's, well, you know, what is the school teaching? And so parents would pay, uh, you know, premium for private education and those sort of things. And it was kind of off of their list to have to worry about and then they have to have to do. Now, because of all remote learning, you don't have that luxury. You need to be part of the conversation. So I think we've had probably three or four conversations with her teacher because it is new. Right. And there are a lot of there's a lot of clunkiness to it, but to make her learning better, because I want her to perform and kick ass when she becomes an adult and goes to work. And the same thing with my son. We've had a ton of conversations with his online teachers as well, but it's forcing us to be part of the conversation where in a normal year, I may only see the teacher twice, you know, for parent teacher meetings. And then as long as you know the kids grades are good, I'm out. Right. You know, no, no, no. I, I, I think that's a hundred percent right. And speaking of like being active and more active in your kids' role, I don't know if you've seen the video. Of, I there's a woman. I think she's in Michigan, and her son had an. This is back when kids were going to school. So this is like November. This is like right after the election. And uh, her son came home and they had a map of the 50 states and they had to color in uh, either the state red or blue, depending on who won the (laughs) state. And so the woman recorded her conversation with the teacher because the woman was upset that her son had colored certain states blue when she felt that the outcome was in question. And I think it goes to your point of this is exactly what this woman's doing. She's being more active and being more, you know, of a participant in her son's education, which is what I think everybody wants. Um, But it was just interesting to see. I I sort of question if we didn't have um, COVID and everybody's um, anxiety is on 11. Like how much energy and passion is she really putting into this phone call with the um with the teacher, the teacher was just like, well, like I understand what you're saying and I get that you're upset, but you know, this is going a certain way. And this, she, this woman was adamant about the fact that, you know, you are teaching them the wrong things and the outcome (laughs) is still in doubt. And it was, I I had two reactions to that. One was uh, get the fuck over it, (laughs) 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 which I know is not the right you know, reaction, whatever, but I do agree right. with you. She's involved in the classroom, right? Yeah. And the hardest thing for teachers to get is parents to volunteer in the classroom. But now, you know, we're doing that on a daily basis. And it is kind of funny because I think our kids are also now more aware of our social environment. So my daughter asks all the time, you know, hey, when is Rachel Maddow coming on? Because that's the woman she wants to hear talk about what's happened under you know the Trump administration. So 
and again, she's nine, but she's yeah. she's now socially aware of what's happening politically around us to where she wants to be part of the conversation and she wants to understand. Did you tell her that 30 years from now she will eagerly anticipate 60 minutes on Sunday nights? <laughs> I haven't I haven't laid that down for her yet, but I'm sure we'll have that conversation. Oh, oh, it, it's oh, it's coming. Uh, there's a pocket there's a podcast I listen to called The Press Box. Um, and it's two guys who are grew up in like publishing and they've worked in media for a number of years. So it's really just commentary on the media at large. And they cover a lot of things, whether it's politics or sports or whatever. And they talked about on the last episode about one of the quintessential American experiences in life is watching the late game on CBS on a Sunday and immediately rolling into 60 minutes. And I thought to (laughs) myself, my God, that just describes my entire (laughs) From the time I was born, I could remember watching at four o'clock at San Francisco at the Rams on CBS. And then after that, here comes 60 Minutes and Mike Wallace and Andy Rooney. And that's just what we did. And listen, we had cable in the house, but that's just what we did. And now here I am at 41. I'm like, oh, look, so-and-so is on 60 Minutes. And I get excited like I'm some old man. It's coming. I'm right there with you. It it is. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what does that look like? Uh, 40 years from now, as we're talking about how technology has really changed uh, due to COVID, you know, will it still be, you know, on on a television set with some streaming capabilities or is it going to be something different at that point in time? Maybe it's a, you know, you put your glasses on and you can sit back and watch your favorite TV show by blinking your eyes. So, that's, you know, that's scary. I don't, I, I don't, I, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's like Google glasses and all that. Like that was like, that was a step. We weren't quite ready for that step. Of te- like contact lenses where I could sleep and still sure. watch TV. Like, like, yeah, like it might be, that, that might be a leap too, too far. But then again, it's 2020. You would have thought according to the Jetsons, we'd have flying cars by now. I mean, going back to the Mandalorian, there is now a, uh, a set of goggles that you can put on to where you can actually be part of the Mandalorian story. And it's all around you virtually. So oh, that, that VR know, stuff is cool. <laughs> I, 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 and speaking to this, now I'm bring this full circle. They had, they, I, I hate to say this, but it's just true. They had a story on 60 Minutes years ago about how they were doing skin grafts for uh, war veterans who had been injured in combat and how skin mm-hmm. grafting is very, very uh, painful. So right. what they were doing is they were putting them, uh, they put VR headsets on them. And it's so immersive in the VR headset that they felt no pain relative to the skin graft. Exactly. It was nuts. Like I told my tattoo guy, I was like, like, because he had one and let me try it. I was like, holy shit. Like I would get tattooed all day. Because <laughs> like it was like a roller coaster, the one that I was in. And like... <laughs> Everywhere you look, 300, I'm spinning around the room and it's fucking everywhere. It's all exactly. Around. It's completely immersive. I was like, oh, yeah, I'd absolutely get tattooed. And now that Oculus thing's $300, I think my, right? next, Vegas, I think my next Vegas trip, I might pack that and tell them, <laughs> hey, man, I, I got a 10-hour session in me. I'm just going to go ahead and put this thing on and let you go on about your day. As long as you can keep on, you know, tapping up my body, life is good. Just yeah, exactly. Going. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to feel a fucking thing with this VR, with this VR business. So, yeah, I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. I so that it'll be, cool. it will definitely be interesting to see uh, how we go forward, right? And what sort of social norms come out of this, and what does this propel us to? Uh, I'm, I'm, 
I've got my seatbelt on, right? So lock and loaded, let's go. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. One of the things I do want to ask you, though, is um, I, I keep coming around to this thought or this idea that I just think companies now, because people, technology has evolved to a place to where we've proven now that we can work from anywhere. And I think yeah. about a lot of times when we would leave the office and take a break and just go to Starbucks and there would just be people on a laptop with some headphones in and they might be studying or they might be on a phone call or what have you. And that was a pretty common thing. Um, but now it's to the point we've proven that we can work from pretty much anywhere. I wonder how flexible companies are going to be in the future relative to letting you work wherever you want to work. Because one of the discussions I know I've been having with my boss is this idea that I need to come into the office every day is for the birds. Like right. at this point, um, like I know my mom's got a, a good friend um, and he's, he's a good friend of mine as well. I think he goes into the office twice a year. Yeah. Like he doesn't go in. And I would say, I, I think I could see myself in a perfect world. I would go into work two or three days a week. Right. And I'd work from home the rest of the time and just have that sort of flexibility. I mean, I've saved so much money on gas and not buying lunch every day. And I mean, the dealership sent me a text message talking about it's time to get your car maintenance. I'm like, no, it's not. I don't right. go anywhere. Right. So so it's interesting because uh, so just uh, through MSNBC, uh, they did a survey and three and four workers want to return to the office. Right. So now this is only, I think, of like maybe 2,000, yes, 2,033 office workers that were surveyed worldwide. So it wasn't just within one area. But what they're looking for is a, a hybrid model. And so you're exactly right, you know, to think that we have to be in the office five days a week, you know, that takes us back to the 1960s, which I know um, is some of the bosses that you and I have worked for. <laughs> That's where they started their career. And so that's what is socially normal for them, right? Yeah. Uh, but what they've talked about is that um, of the of the respondents, half of them want to have socialization spaces, spaces. So like coffee areas, lounges, mm -hmm. terraces. So it isn't to me so much that this is saying people want to return to work. It's that people want to have an open space to to your point, like you were talking about being able to go to a Starbucks and just relax a minute, because when you're stuck in your home, there's only so many quadrants that you can go into to where you can quote unquote relax. But when home becomes work and work becomes home, there's less ability to do that. I want to go to a park, you know, but because of, of social distancing and current demands within the Chicago area, we're not allowed to. So I think what people are looking for is just to get out of their home. Right. Yeah, because yeah. your anxiety is on uh, 15 right now. Like, like it shouldn't be it would be a social taboo, I think, still that if I took my lunch hour, let's say there was a meeting that was scheduled over lunch and right. I decided to take that call. But I took that call while I went for a walk in a park. Yep. I think that's still a social taboo, because in your mind, it's like, why would you do that? You should be at work. And what I'm saying is, is that. We're never going back to the way things used to be. What exactly. I'm doing today is representative of where the world's going, that I can right. go and, for a walk and do and have this conversation with you at the same time. Right. Because you're 
you're opening yourself up to the environment. You're now creating a space to where you can think what, you know, openly and be more agile. And so now the benefit of that conversation should actually come out. Now, if you're going to the park and you're watching the butterflies, right? <laughs> right. There's, a pro- there's a problem. So, so the other thing that they talked about in this article, at least, was having areas for uh, concentration pods or phone booths. So I think you need to have the balance. And I think as, as we look at companies like Google and uh, you know, those are willing to, to work outside of the box, having the ability to your exact point of going and walking in the park to have a business conversation, fantastic. But then also allowing me to go into a dedicated space to where the only thing that I have in front of me, it's me and my computer or me and my device so now I can have that span to fully concentrate on developing this article, this topic, whatever the work product is. And then once I'm done, I pack up my stuff and I either go back to the park or I go home or I do whatever I need to do. But I think the, the time card itself, you know, punching in, sitting down at my desk for, you know, 10 hours a day, which is what it would usually turn out for you and me. And then punching the card back out so I can then go home. I think that is being challenged through this pandemic. You know, is that absolutely necessary? And the resounding response is it's not. It's not necessary because people are being productive without being in a physical office, without having a boss supervising me to make sure I'm getting stuff done. No, you're 100% right. And I think about speaking of technology, you hit on something that maybe that triggered this thought. I can remember a time where you had the largest work bag I'd ever seen on a TV <laughs> in my life. And you would say, well, this is my office. This is my mobile right. office. And you would go through it. It would be very systematic. It's like, I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this. And here's my aspirin if I have a headache, and yep. mouthwash, and this is like, oh, shit, this fucking cvs inside this thing but and i think about it now it's now it's an it's for you it's in probably an ipad pro and yeah. that's it you don't need anything else because it's all right there and I, I think it's that sort of evolutionary sort of thing that has been sort of supercharged from an activation perspective as a result of of covid and i think you know using technology as a means um to just improve lives and make it better, but also to try to find ways to take away the stress and anxiety. Like I know for me, probably in July, sitting around bored, I went and bought a PlayStation. Here I am, 41 years old, playing video games, something I never thought I'd do. And I only really play one game, and that's Madden. And I got friends of mine, because now, like even my brother had to remind me, he's like, Dennis, you got to remember, you have not played Madden since PlayStation 2. This is PlayStation 4. Because I'm getting mad. Like, what the hell? Why doesn't this work? This and the third. So, like, uh-huh. and, I, and like, I have friends of mine who who play and they want to play online all the time. And, and then now it's to the point where you can all play together. Like, you can start like a season and each of you could take a franchise and, and play it. So, that's yep. what we did. So, I played a good friend of mine last night, a guy I grew up with. And the first game we played, it's the first time I'd ever played him. We tied. And I was proud of myself. Like, okay, well, maybe I'm not too bad. Yesterday I played him. Going into the third quarter, or going into the fourth quarter, I think I was down like three points. 
And then all of a sudden, the fucking wheels came off, and I'm throwing interceptions left and right. I think he scored like 30 oh. points on me in the fourth quarter, and I was like, ah, well, okay, it doesn't matter. But <laughs> but just the fact that I had to find something to do, and I think part of the reason why I started this podcast, to be honest, is because I was looking for a creative outlet because yep. I I was I wrote a couple pieces over the summer. And I liked writing and I still want to write more, but I wanted a vehicle where I could just have a conversation and express what I was thinking and feeling. Because for me, in order to write, I have to organize all my thoughts. And that was taking way too long. Like the last piece I wrote took me about a month to organize my thoughts. And I was like, this this is taking too long. But doing a podcast, I found, was a lot easier. Plus, it gives me a chance to sort of connect with someone like you because I haven't really, I mean, outside of a couple of text messages here and there, I haven't really, I can't remember the last time I talked to you. I know. Well, and so for, for your audience that's listening, you know, you have to keep in mind that you and I worked together for, what is it, five, six years? Yeah, something like that, and yeah. It, it was normal for us to have, you know, a Friday afternoon conversation to where we would just chop it up and, you know, we'd have a great conversation, but it was the end of the week. We had all of our work done. You know, so I, I understand needing the outlet for sure. Yeah, exactly. Right. And knowing knowing you as I do and how uh you know you want to have these types of conversations, this makes a hundred percent sense. Uh <laughs> for me to fill the void, I went down a different path and got more political. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm now working with the uh, aldermen of our area and supporting a community club. And so we've built the thing from the ground up, you know, including website and leveraging Slack channels and mobilizing, you know, a whole field group. Uh, so, it, but you got to do what you got to do. You're you right. Know? You got to get you're your right. outlet. You're right. You, you got to do what you got to do. And I will say um, in my mind, so I could be off base here, but in my mind, the whole concept of like an alderman and whatnot is very much like a Chicago, New York sort of thing. And I yeah. just don't think that, Pete, if you don't live in a big city like that, you might not necessarily get the concept of it. But I guess I'm more encouraged by just the fact that that you are doing something proactive and getting involved. And I think that's the thing. I just couldn't sit still, you know, with all this going around and your 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 thoughts are all over the place. And you start. Yep. For me, I start second guessing and questioning myself on everything. And and I just found like I was in my own way, like I was in my own headspace, like way, way, way too much. And so I needed like, you know, creative outlets. So by all means, like I, I get it completely. And I think you do get something out of that sort of interaction that, that yeah. you're talking about. Because I think the last time. um not the last time, but I remember I was in Chicago for work and we were going to get together, but we couldn't because yep. the way they had our schedule, they had us bussing around and dinners and all of this. And we didn't, I didn't get back to my room till like 10 o'clock each night. Exactly. exactly. You know what I mean? And it was like, well, I mean, I appreciate all the, like we went to um, uh, the first night we went to someplace down on the lake where they take you up and you can see everything. Oh yeah, I can't. Yep. Uh, I can't think of what it's called because uh, we were going to get together that night, and then we couldn't do it because it was late. And I think you were flying out the next morning, and then the exactly. next day they took us down to um, the observatory, 
And they had like the Chicago Philharmonic play for us while we were eating dinner and all of this. And what made it so bad was the Bears had a home game on Monday night. (laughs) And (laughs) I was in one of the last buses and we had to go past Soldier Field and the traffic Uh was all backed up. It was like, oh, my God, this is. Uh huh. Yeah, this I was like, this is this is what like living in the city is really, really is is really, really like. And I just don't think that uh, people quite get that concept. So no, Um, I, I, I understand. Yeah, but absolutely. yeah, I, I agree. You, you got to get sometimes out of your own your own headspace, and you know whether you're providing uh, information through a podcast or you're connecting neighbors to each other so they can you know better understand uh, the struggles that everyone's dealing with. I, I think again back to our conversation regarding the the social interaction. Uh, life is truly what you make it, right? And I know you know this more than most because uh, you, you know when you got to pull yourself out from your own bootstraps. You can choose to say, woe is me, or you can choose to make something better. So for, for those that are, are really needing that social interaction, do something that we probably haven't done in at least a decade. Pick up the phone and make that phone call, right? Yeah. And, and have that conversation with someone that maybe you haven't had in a while. And so we're even doing that uh, through our, our business. You know, yeah, Zoom is great. Right. And teams is great and you can see people's faces, but there's times where you just need the one on one and a phone call can do. You know, we've even encouraged our kids uh, to have pen pals. Right. And so it's kind of going some old school. I get it. But just to bring back some of those emotions of what do you feel like when you get a letter from someone that you haven't talked to, you know, in, in a couple months or a year or whatever the time span has been. So well, you're right. That 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 sort of personal touch that you can't yeah. um, because like someone took the time to think enough of you. And it reminds me of a time where um, making Nigel phone calls so many years ago. <laughs> and uh, we Katie, had, you have to you have to say for people that don't know what a Nigel is, oh, not in good order. Not in good order. <laughs> Sorry, that's right. I've got an audience that might not know what that is. So that's True. inside industry lingo. But we would have to make <laughs> phone calls when there were just, was discrepancies in the paperwork. And we yep. would have to make these phone calls. And what we decided to do in an effort to create a, a bit of a uh, personalized experience is we would pick two or three people a month for people that we interacted with on the phone and just write them a personal note. Yep. And we got so much positive feedback out of that. And I know for me, I would never write it like specifically to like a financial advisor. I would always right. write it to their assistant because after a while, you kind of know. It's those assistants that make the office move. Yes, they do. You know, you, it, it, they make the office move because they don't have the license. That guy right. or, or, or woman is there. And I'm not saying that they don't do anything because that's unfair to them. But a lot of them are just there because they've got the license. They can make the recommendation legally, can sign off on the paperwork and send it off and say, yeah, it was a good investment and here's why. And talking yep. very like large platitudes without any real specifics, right? But it's the assistants because I would call and just say, he doesn't really want this fund, does he? He wants this one. Yeah, he wants that one. That's all I needed, Sally. Thank you. Exactly. You know, exactly. So you're so, right. So I think, you know, it's a healthy conversation to understand the current uh, technology environment that we're in, taking advantage of those things. But then I also think there's a healthy element of, you know, rolling it back and uh, making those personal connections because at the end of the day, you know, we're humans and we, we absolutely need 
those pieces as well. So it's, to me, it's really trying to find the balance. And that is really the key of life. Uh, if you can find the right balance for both, uh, you know, work, home, leveraging technology where we can, taking advantage of it, but then also finding those moments for that personal connection, um, we can get through this pandemic and whatever else the future is going to really bring at us. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And I would think, you know, globally, we get through this, we can probably get through um, anything else. One last thing I want to ask you. Um, so nine months from now, are you, do you think you're still traveling 90% of the time or do you think they cut that back? So I'll give you two answers, <laughs> right? Cause, cause in our business that we had before of doing audit work and whatnot is always, it depends. Yeah. So nine, nine months from now, uh, the, the question will be how available is the vaccine, right? So, so that's a factor. If the vaccine is widely available and not only can I get access to it, but also my clients can get access to it, we're good to go. Yeah. Um, if it's not, then that's, that's a non-starter. Uh, personally, and I think you know me well enough, fuck yeah, man, get me on that plane every week <laughs> of the month and let's roll this bad boy, right? Right, um, Exactly. But, but part of that, you know, is just it's my temperament and, you know, being a, a for real Hungarian gypsy, I like the travel. I like the people. I like the interaction. Um, so. So, yeah. But I think as a business and this is kind of where the, you know, our owners come into play, it's is it necessary because, it, you know, this year that's been one expense that we've seen off of our books and off of the client's uh, uh, invoice. Right. So, so there's a market benefit to not jumping on a plane and having a hotel and, you know, a per diem and all of those things for when we're uh, on site. So I think what it's going to translate into is when you're first starting and kicking off a project, you need that FaceTime. Yeah. Uh, so more likely we'll be on site for that. When you're going through a, a full uh, implementation and you've got, you know, a ton of people working on core software systems you know, I can see us being on site, but there's going to probably be months in the project that were not needed to, to have our faces there. And I think we've now discovered that we can be extremely effective and persuasive and still keep our connections remotely um, that will take advantage of that. And what that does for us is it opens up the candidate pool for those that are a little leery of, you know, 90 percent travel. Um, and, and so, you know, if a person doesn't want to have, you know, as much, maybe they only want 10%, I think at this point, we're open to have that conversation. So it, it now opens up the talent pool to now bring in other folks that can be extremely effective, but just didn't want to have the travel. And I think that's going to translate into other businesses as well to where, you know, uh, thinking about a large insurance carrier there in, in Columbus, uh, you know, if they don't have to have this fantastic IT developer or, you know, business transformation expert, you know, in that specific metro, maybe they can hire them. But, you know, they live currently in uh, the UK or you know New York or L.A. and they can still do everything remotely. But the organization gains the benefit of, you know, their talent, their thought process and, and what they bring to the table. 
so it's worth it. And you don't have to pay for, you know, uh, moving fees or office space. So to me, it's really a win-win if we can get, you know, the senior leadership of those organizations to think future versus our, how do we go back? Right. And I think there's going to be, I feel like there is a desperate need, and, and, and I say desperate only in the sense of it's a very human thing, but there's a desperate desire to want to go back to the way things used to be. Yes. And like, for instance, I hear this all the time about, oh, it was so great in the 50s. Like, yeah, maybe for some, but not for all. Right. <laughs> but but, but no, that's an extreme example. But the idea that we're going to go back and, and the one of the things I keep trying to express to people on my job is the culture that we had before all this started is never coming back. A right. brand new culture is going to take its place because collectively we've all gone through something and there is something to be said about shared experience. And I think shared experience is a very powerful, powerful sort of thing. Like we're not going to be the same. We are fundamentally different as a result of this. And, yep. you know, now we have to climb this hurdle about convincing people to take a vaccine and, and, yep. and the whole nine. And I'm a little leery about walking around with a piece of paper saying that I've been vaccinated because that feels much, too much like freedom papers to me. And I, yes. as, as a black man, that's just really uncomfortable for me yep. to be carrying around a piece of paper saying that I'm vaccinated. But um, I get why they're going to do it. I've even heard today that they're talking about in Europe, um, if you're part of the EU, I guess you get an EU card that yep. they're going to apply like a sticker to your, they're going to issue you a brand new EU card with an indication that you've been vaccinated. Exactly. That that's and so it's coming like like you and, and I get it. There's a real necessity for it because you want to know who's had it and who hasn't and the whole nine. And I get it, but there's just something really uncomfortable. And, and I'm saying that only because when I think about human nature over the course of history, now this vaccination or lack of a vaccination could be weaponized against you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think you're exactly right. We're in a moment in time that is going to fundamentally change us. And when you mentioned that, what it brought to my mind was 9-11, right? Uh, those of us who lived through that moment, there's a distinct change. So there's a, a life before 9-11 where we thought that we were invincible. Uh, you know, America was the best country in the world. No one's ever going to attack us on our own soil. And then there's after 9-11 where... You're we taking got your shoes off. At the, you're taking your shoes off at the airport, right? And you're doing it. You know. So, frankly, as a guy that travels, you know, again, you once a week it was uh, happy to do so to make sure that you know we're all safe as we go on this plane to then do the rest of our day's business. Right. So, there's going to be fundamental changes that that we just have to embrace. And, um, and like, that's what I use that in PlayStation. That's how I get to the week. And at the end of the week, I know I can eat a really good burger and fries and watch the Mandalorian. Like, that's right. So, so I, I, I get, it's the, it's the small things in life, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, um, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, thanks for having I really me. Appreciate it, man. And, um, and we'll, we'll catch up soon. This is fun. We'll have to do this again. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.